All right. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you. I'm Brian. Good evening. Good evening. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to, turn to Daniel chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. All right, let's pray together, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we pause before we speak to you, for you are God and we're not. And I know that I need to pause and I need to just stop and think who I'm speaking to. God, you are so good and great. God, it's so encouraging to hear students worship and sing to you. It's fun to watch them worship through play. But coming together, God, tonight and we op us opening your word Father, I pray that you would take, as I say often, take a feeble attempt at making much of Jesus and do a great, great work. And start with me, God. And then all of us in the room, God, do a work. Holy Spirit, move and leave us in awe and amazed. Convict us and encourage us with whatever is necessary to make us look like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I remember like it was yesterday, and yet it was uh, about 17 years ago this month. I was in my office. I was a high school pastor at the time, and my family and I had been to, a, we'd been at our church for maybe about a year or so, uh, and we loved it. I mean, we just loved getting to be part of it, and it seemed like everything was going well. And I was just sitting there getting work done, and all of a sudden my office phone rang, and I remember, I remember I was standing trying to reach something and answering the phone at the same time. And I said, hello, and then it was my wife. Even today I was thinking through, I was like, why, why didn't you call my cell? I mean, my old school cell, but why didn't you call my cell? For some reason she called the, the office line. And the first words that she said were, are you sitting down? And it wasn't, so I sat down. You see, that day, that morning, she had gone to a doctor's appointment we had baby number two. He was a month old. That's Dylan. Our oldest is Tyler. He was about two at the time, and no one gave us warning for anything. See, before we got pregnant, she had this lump in her throat on the side of her, like on the side of her neck. We had a biopsy done, and nothing came back from it. And so he said, "Go ahead and have a baby. We'll take it out when when you're when when he's born." And so we did. And and I still remember the words. I have cancer. And guys, I didn't know what to say. I hear I'm supposed to be that pastor and the shepherd and the, care, the person who cares for his family well and knows what to say in these situations. And I had no clue. I, just, I was speechless. 
The first thing I said is, okay, I'm coming home. And I was angry. I was angry first because the doctor didn't let me know. Didn't let just, hey, could you both come in? My wife went there with our two-year-old and our one-month-old. And she gets the news and she has to keep it together to drive all the way home and to call me when she gets home. So I was angry. So I start packing up all my stuff and I put my sunglasses on. Why? Because the eyes tell people, about, tell people something about you, right? Can't you kind of read someone when you can look into their eyes? And so I put the sunglasses on because I had to get past my assistant. This, I mean, at the time, I think she's like 67. Little Grandma Marguerite. Everyone loved Grandma Marguerite. She handled all the youth pastors, which was kind of like handling all the youth. No joke, guys. There were times we would like have sock wars in the office, and she's just in the middle. Like we're just chucking socks at one another. She just keeps, she just keeps working. And as I get to her, I said, I got to go. And she goes, stop. What's the matter? I said, nothing. I just got to go home. She said, tell me. And you can't say no to grandma. I told her, I said, Kelly's got cancer. Her first words were, let's get the whole staff together to pray. I said, give me one minute to get out of here. I have to go home. And maybe for some, he said, why don't you stop and pray? Because I had to get home. And Marguerite knew it. She said, I'll give you 60 seconds, bolt down the stairs and get out of here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call everyone after that. And I took off running. I said, bye to the receptionist. I bolt out the door and I get in the car and I make it to the second parking lot of our church property and I stopped and I screamed out to God. It was something like this. God, my whole life is about you, everything. And you're giving me the shaft. How dare you not protect my wife? Guys, he didn't zap me. He didn't do anything to me. I think all he did was listen. Because I remember years before that, standing in an altar telling God, I will protect her. And this was something I couldn't protect her from. I couldn't change it. I couldn't fix it. I was helpless. And so I start driving home, and I'm calling everybody I know to start praying. I call my mentor, and he's... He's shocked and he's just, he was so, he's such a good man. I've known him for 30 years. He said, I'll be praying. I call my parents and I get home. I remember I pulled into the drive. We had this tiny little house. The kitchen was smaller than this little area. I mean, it was tiny. But it, there was a door that led from the kitchen to the garage and I parked the car in the garage and I opened that door and there's my wife. I still remember like it was yesterday. My wife was at the kitchen sink, so imagine this is where the door is that comes in, and she's right here cleaning dishes. My two-year-old is right here eating a hot dog, because it's right. My, my one-month-old's on the floor, okay, not on the floor, like in a carrier on the floor, okay, so he's chilling out. Friends, here's the first thought that popped in my head. Here's your camp speaker. That's the first thought. I didn't say it out loud. I thought this, God, I don't know how to be a single dad. Like in my head, it was going to go bad. And I just hugged her. Because I don't know why I had to get home so quick. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm a pastor. I could fix it. Like, I'll just get on the table. Give me a butter knife. I'll take care of it right now. I got this. Because we're supposed to have all the answers, right? Because I was clueless.
I remember when he had to take her in and she had to have a, her, her thyroid taken out, then she had to have radioactive iodine treatment. So she had a surgery, then the, the, the radioactive iodine treatment, is we had to, I had to take her to the hospital. But I still remember Dylan was about three months old, four months old, and this would be the last day that, that, that Kelly could nurse him. And it broke her. But she was strong. I remember pulling out of the driveway and her parents were there and Tyler's just waving, having no clue that she's going to have to stay in the hospital for a week and not be around her boys, that if I visited, I'd have to go in. And so imagine this would be the room. So picture, you see that tire up there on the, on the stage? This is where the door would be. She would have to sit on that side and I would have to stand this far away from her and I could be in there for five minutes because she's radioactive. And that's it. We knew it was coming, and so as I'm pulling out of the driveway, she's waving, and she's just, and Tyler has no clue he's waving. And when we got there out in the corner, she just did this. She just starts beating her chest, and she goes, it hurts so bad. Guys, that still gets me, because I don't, I can't fix it. I remember I took her there, and I remember when she took the pill, and I walked out. Like I said, I visited her once. I couldn't do it more than once because I couldn't stand it. I could talk to her longer on the phone. And then we went away for another week just to make sure that she didn't hurt the boys in any way because she was radioactive. And then we came back and, and I thought that God had healed her. Like everything was fine and yet her levels were going up and I was just so angry. And, and I remember that she went and got a scan, a second scan. And when she came back and I was watching the boys, they were napping. She walks in, gets the results. And I said, well, how did it go? She said, well, they, they think they might have seen something on my brain. And I'm like, what? And no joke, this is exactly what she said. Yeah, I got to go to the store. And then she walked out and went to the grocery store. I'm like, I don't need salami. Come here. Like, I don't, like, don't leave and go get potato chips. This isn't the time. But she seriously went to the store. And I remember sitting there on the couch not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say, not knowing what to think, not knowing how to pray. And you know what came to my mind? A buddy of mine preached a message talking about when Jesus said, hey, if anyone wants to be found worthy to be my disciple, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. And he defined, he's like, what does denying self mean? And we think that denying self means just keep all the bad things away, keep sin out. He goes, that's not denying self, that's just self-denial. It's not pushing things away. Like picture all the things that are good. Like my family, my friends, the ministry I get to be part of, the possessions that we have. Guys, all these things that are good. Denying self means I don't bear hug anything. It means I offer up everything. That's to deny self. To pick up your cross, that's death. And follow me. And that, that, that message came to my mind, and that motion that he did, I remember he did this, you don't do this with anything, you do this with everything. You don't do this with anything, you do this with everything. I remember sitting there on the couch, and I'm bawling my eyes out, and I just went, boom! I opened my hands up, and I said, God, she's yours! Would you let her stay, but if you decide that she needs to be with you, then you better help me with the pain. Guys, it was such a roller coaster. And I would never trade it. I would never trade the experience because I never knew that Jesus and I could be like this. And I'm so thankful that God was merciful, that God was gracious, that God helped us through it. 
And that 17 years later, she's fine. And to that, I'm so thankful because I can just kind of continue to live life with my best friend. For that, I'm thankful. Thank you. But why do I tell this story? Friends, I think we, we, have, we have way too many what-if Christians and not enough even-if Christians. Like, I'll get into this, but what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen the way that I thought? Even as I tell that story, we can sit there and we can celebrate. Okay, God healed and God did a work. And yes, he did. And I'm so thankful for the medical staff and God used that process. But for some of you, the ending wasn't the same, right? So what do you do? Friends, that's why this question, as I asked the first night, is so applicable and so necessary to become even if followers of Jesus. And even if follower of Jesus means no matter what comes, no matter what, I'm in. Then when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, pray like this, our father, that word father in the Aramaic is Abba. You know what Abba means? Papa or Dada. It's what a one-year-old calls dad for the first time. Our Abba in heaven, hallowed be your name. He is loving father and he is holy God. And then he says this, you start off with this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, if you would heal, please, would you? But if not, would you help me through the pain for you are king, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I had to learn that lesson because I hadn't learned that yet. Friends, I want to encourage you to learn it now. And as we jump into Daniel chapter 3, I think you'll see it. In Daniel chapter 3, start in verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it upon a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, pretty much the whole government. And he says, you got to come here. We're going to dedicate it. Verse 3. Then the satraps and all the, we're not going through the whole list again. They all show up to dedicate this image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Guys, as I was going through chapter 3, the phrase that kept getting repeated over and over, that he set up. He set up. Guys, we have this God complex. All of us can be prone to this. We want to be in charge. So here's Nebuchadnezzar. I can create this image and I can force people to worship this image, which means I get to play what? God. He set it up. He set it up. He makes everyone show up for dedication of what he set up. Verse four, and a herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of all those instruments, all the people's nations and languages, fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Does all that make sense? If you don't worship, you go into a furnace. If you do, you're set. Guys, does, does that sound like worship? No. I'm just going to tell you what to do. 
just going to tell you what to do. You do this or else this is what happens. We continue on to verse 8. Therefore, at that, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Who would those be? The three that are in this passage, and we'll use the names that are written here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah. Remember Hananiah? Mishael, Azariah. They've changed their names. Some scholars think that there's 20 years, that there's a 20-year gap between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. So for 20 years, if that's what it is, they've gotten used to living here. And yet what I think you'll see is that their conviction of who they would follow is still true. It goes on. It says, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 9, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears all these instruments shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Do you realize that this is all based upon jealousy? Because these three were promoted to a position that everybody else wanted. Guys, you ever notice how nasty jealousy can be? And do you ever find yourself struggling with it? Somebody gets something that you wish you had. And it doesn't seem fair that they got it because you worked harder, you were there first. So you want what they're getting. And then have you ever maliciously done anything to them or said anything maliciously about them because they got something that you didn't? And this is how we justify it, but it's not fair. Guys, here's a phrase I remember hearing somebody say, and it's changed the way I think of that word fair. I don't like the word fair. Because fair ended in the garden. If God were fair, we just want to go with fairness, then he would have left us to ourselves to pay for our own sin. Jesus would have never had to die. He did nothing. So is it fair that someone who is completely innocent take the wrath of God for those who've messed up? Absolutely not. So friends, we shouldn't ever look at God and say, I need you to be fair. No, no. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up now? It's almost like he's going to show him grace. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to, fo to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Wow. Did you hear that last, that last question? Read it again, guys. If you have your Bible, don't even be worried about underlining that part. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Do you think at some point God listened to that part more than all the rest? He's just listening. He's like, oh, man, that guy just talks forever. And all of a sudden, when Nebuchadnezzar, when good old Neb says this, hey, and what God will save you out of my hands? It's almost like he goes, uh -huh? Oh, game on. Game on. What God will save you out of my hands? Guys, what does that sound like? It's a God complex. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't just think he's a king. He thinks that he's a deity. And that the God of these three, remember, we've already defeated that God. That's at least what he thought. We've defeated him. So what God can stop me? Oh, I have a huge respect for these three. Guys, just picture thousands of people. And there they are. 
And they know what's going to happen. If they, don't, if they don't bow down, they know what's coming. And all of a sudden, the music plays. Can you imagine their hearts starting to pump a little bit? You say, well, faith means you'll never be afraid. Guys, fear is normal. It's normal. It's going to happen. It's what you decide to do when you're afraid. That if in that moment you want to be led by your fear, that's not faith. But if in the midst of your fear, you're terrified of what's coming, you then go, but God, what do you want me to do? And in this case, can you imagine the three of them going, we can't bow down, guys. We're all in this together. And like, we're in this. Why? Because he's worth it. You imagine as every single person bows down, the three of them just stood there. And all of a sudden, people are looking. And then all of a sudden, they start accusing and getting the king, and they just watch these guys run over to the king, little tattletales. And then they bring him before the king, and they know what's coming. But man, they answer boldly. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, listen to this first part, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Dang. Guys, that's not the way to start off a conversation if you're trying to butter somebody up. It's almost like they're looking going, oh, most powerful, most powerful person on the planet. None of your business. Oh. It's like, we don't have to answer you in this matter. And then they continue. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait to meet these guys. He says, verse 17, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Do you see, the, do you see their resolve? We saw that word, I think it was last night, we looked at Daniel, he made a resolve. Before any circumstance came up, he made this decision. I will not, we're not gonna do this. I'm not gonna eat the food that they're eating. I'm not gonna engage in anything that this culture is engaging in. I'm gonna stay true to God. You with me? These four at least that we know of, they're all in. These three make the resolve. We will not bow down. We don't have to answer you, but I will answer you nonetheless. Our God is able to save us from you, O king. And, but that one phrase in verse, uh, verse 18, but if not, friends, are you, a, are you an even if Christian? No matter, like God can do whatever he wants, right? Anything he wants to do, he can. But what if he decides not to do what we think he should do or do the thing that would make most sense and bring about this miraculous thing that would impact so many people. What if he decides to be quiet and to not act in that way? And it's so easy for us to look at God and say, come on, this is what you're supposed to do. All the while forgetting that this is how we're taught to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our God is able to do whatever he wants. But even if he doesn't, like even if we burn today, we won't bow down. Guys, though, though, that's the type of followers of Jesus, which I don't think there are different types. If Jesus says, 
You want to be found worthy. I just I mentioned this verse earlier. You want to be found worthy to be my disciple. You must. And this is for everyone. It's not like, well, I'm not there yet. I can't give him everything. Guys, he expects everything because he deserves everything. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily. Follow me. Remember the rich young ruler? For those who brought up in the church, you ever heard this story? Rich young guy comes running up to Jesus. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, why do you call me God? Actually, he says this. He first says, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Guys, re- you have to remember that in that day, this was what they thought. If you were healthy and wealthy, then you were being blessed by God because you were doing things right. But if you weren't, then God was cursing you because you were in sin. That's what they thought. Is that true? Absolutely not. But that's what they thought. And so a rich young guy, seems like he has everything, comes running up saying, good teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. And Jesus goes, why do you call me good? You ever wonder if Jesus just has a hard time focusing? The question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And then he says, you know the commandments. And he starts going through some of the commandments. The man responds by looking at Jesus the second time and says, teacher, I've kept all these commandments since my youth. The Bible says this, and I love it. It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have. Give everything that you have to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. But what's the one thing? You ever looked at the passage and thought, what's the one thing? He says, you lack one thing. What is it? Go sell, go sell everything you have. That's not lacking anything. Give everything away. That's not lacking anything. You'll have treasure in heaven. That's not lacking anything. Follow me. That's not lacking anything. What is it? Guys, this is my conviction. You ever notice why? Why would that man, the first time when he approaches Jesus, call him good teacher? And after Jesus says, hey, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And the second time he doesn't call him good. Is it possible that that man that second time is sitting there going, what do I think about Jesus? Do I think that he's God? No, I don't think that he's God. Teacher? And Jesus says, you lack one thing. What do I think the one thing is? He did not recognize Jesus to be God because if he had then he would have looked at the invitation that Jesus gave to him to give everything up and to follow he would go the one thing he lacked is he didn't recognize Jesus guys these these guys recognized God they recognized his value and who he was guys I will keep asking this question the whole time we're together Followers of Jesus, if you follow Jesus, students, volunteers, Hume staff, is he worth it? Is Jesus worth it? It's like, whatever happens, it doesn't matter. Like, whatever comes, it's about him. It's not just about a belief system. It's about the person of the second person, the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is worth it. Guys, we have to come to this conviction the world needs to see followers of Jesus who are even if, not just what if. It's almost like, well, what if I don't agree? Can I still call myself a Christian but not do what Jesus says? No. Guys, Jesus says, I know those who love me by those who obey me. Guys, if Jesus says, I know those who love me by those who obey my commandments, there's no wiggle room out of that. These guys got it. They got it. Nebuchadnezzar, here he is. Good old Neb. 
It's kind of a psycho. Look at verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered, this is the part, I don't understand this part. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it is usually heated. Because regular fire is not going to do it. Can you think it does it? Guys, this seems like a grown-up temper tantrum. A grown-up temper tantrum for a person who has all the power to do whatever he wants is a little bit terrifying. He's like, oh, okay, you guys are dead. The furnace heated up seven times hotter. And they're like, can you imagine? They're sitting there going, why? Why are we doing, why, why are we doing this? As the fire is going, burning things, it's like not, not hot enough. Seven times hotter. So they do it. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're still standing there. Verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 21. Oh, no, verse 20. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Why? Here's the other thing. Why pick like the buffest guys in your army to tie some knots? Like Boy Scouts learn how to do this. I'm pretty sure, guys, I'm pretty certain that anybody in the room, like if you really ought to tie a knot and I put my arms out, I probably wouldn't be able to get out. And so, so far, we have never looked. Set it up seven times higher. Hey, Bubba. He's like, oh, he's like no neck. He's got shoulders up to his ears. He comes running up. He's like, hey, bind them. Tie a knot? You want, me, you want me to tie a knot? Tie a knot. Bind them. Okay. And what if he had to look around going, I don't know how to do that. And the little boy scout comes and says, what you doing? You start going through, starts to train him up. <laughs> oh, this is, guys, whenever somebody says the Bible's boring because they've never read it. Verse 21. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown to the burning fiery furnace. Guys, remember what they said? Our God can do whatever he wants, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. Guys, do you realize there's a place in the Ma in book of Matthew? You don't have to turn there. I'll just turn there real quick. In Matthew chapter 8, it's one of my favorite passages because it's in it that we see kind of the same thing. A man with leprosy comes, comes before Jesus. Now, guys, leprosy is this. Imagine a, a person that had leprosy and say it's getting severe. The, it's like the body is starting to eat itself away from the outside. So like fingers begin to be eaten away. Your nose begins to be eaten. Your ears begin to say, and it's, it's, it's horrible. And in fact, if you have this, you're then, you have to be cast out of society. Guys, I don't know what this guy was like before he had this. What if he had kids? What if he was married and had kids and couldn't be around them? And, and Jesus just got done preaching the most famous message ever preached. And there's thousands of people there, and they're all around Jesus. And before he preached this message, I mean, Jesus is healing people left and right. And it makes you wonder. Look at verse 8. Oh, you don't have to look at it. Let me read it. Chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Guys, that's powerful. 
One, you notice that he knelt before Jesus. Here's a man who's supposed to keep himself away. Guys, if a person had leprosy and say he had to go into a town, this is what the leprous, the leprous person had to do. He or she would have to walk, and if he saw people coming toward him, he'd have to cover his mouth and point to them and just say, unclean. Just scream it, unclean, so that they could get out of the way. Guys, think about it. This is what you have. Nobody touches you. No high fives, no knuckle bumps, no safe Christian side hugs or whatever it is that we do. Nothing, nothing. Guys, isn't it amazing how just knuckle bumps and high fives and handshakes, it means something, right? Can you imagine nobody ever wanting to because you're unclean? Guys, how does this guy get to the front row of Jesus when Jesus is surrounded by a crowd? Guys, you know what this word, the word that pops in my mind when I read this passage, desperate. He's desperate. I think he just touched his way in. It's almost like he used it to his advantage. Excuse me, unclean. See you later. (laughs) And then just walked in. But notice what it is that Jesus, or what, what the man said. He didn't say, would you please, would you please, would you please, 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 please. He simply said this, Lord, if you want to, you can. He makes a statement of faith. Lord, if you want to, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he left it. He left it to what Jesus wanted to do. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Guys, that's so important. Guys, for, guys if somebody touched a leprous person, they would be considered unclean. They'd have to, they'd, they would have to go to the priest, and they'd have to, they'd have, the priest would have to look him over to make sure that they didn't catch it. Look at the order. Think, or let me read the order again. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and then said, I will be clean. Which one did he do first, touch him or heal him? Touched him. Uh-oh. Did he screw up? Guys, I want to encourage you with this. One of my favorite parts of that whole passage. Guys, was, this, was the man going to die that day if Jesus didn't heal him? Probably not. He may walk to him. He got to him. So did he, needed, did he need to be healed? No. But he needed to what? To be touched. And Jesus knows what we need. He knows what we need. The depth of his need was to be touched. And then Jesus touched him and then healed him. Lord, if you want to, you can. And it's almost like he's an example in the New Testament for us, even if you don't. You're still Lord. So we come back to Daniel. Verse 22. (laughs) Things kind of backfire in good old Neb. Because the king's order was urgent, the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Whoops. (laughs) It's like, get seven times higher. Bubba, come here. Tie some knots. Little boy, show me how. Okay. And then you got him. I got it. And you get, then you, then you throw him in and the dude dies. That wasn't good. Now watch. Verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm sorry, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? That's kind of obvious. Yeah, we did. We lost one because of you, but no one's going to say that. And they answered and said to the king, true, O king, good job. Verse 25, he answered and said, here it is. 
But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. In this last part of that verse, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. What? Dang. Guys, I need to make a movie. And yet they won't do justice to what this was like. Guys, imagine Nebuchadnezzar going, wait, one, two, three. Come here. Are they just walking around? Yep. Oh, crud. And there's a fourth one just chilling out in the fiery furnace. And that one looks like the son of a god. Guys, you realize that this thing called a theophany. You know what a theophany is? It's Jesus showing up before he showed up on Christmas. That's really what it is. Wouldn't it be just like Jesus to make sure he went into the fire? Guys, what would make them have so much faith? Because they did say at some point, and he will deliver us. I mean, they said it. Remember that verse I shared last night, what I read when I was supposed to read? I was supposed to read six months before I did. Remember that? I needed to hear it because I felt horribly condemned and all these thoughts were popping in my head. Do you ever wonder if maybe they heard this somewhere or read it somewhere? Remember that part in Isaiah 43, middle of verse 2? When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Doesn't that sound pretty fitting? Guys, how many of you would be a little, how many of you show a little trash talk in this moment? Be honest, I would. You imagine just sitting there like you're not dead. All the ropes are gone. What bound you is gone. And, there's, I don't, and I don't know if the three got to see the fourth. I have no clue. I hope so. But can you imagine looking at it, Neb, and it's like, do it. Brr. Brr. Can you throw me a jacket? And it's like, you just start talking. It's so cold. Turn it up. Seven times hotter is not enough. And what if they all laid around? It's like, ah, oh, what a suntan. I was like, I'm just sunbathing. It's like, this is the time. Verse 26, the Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. And he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the, over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads, I don't like that verse, I'm just joking. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Guys, what was the only thing that was burned away? The ropes, what they were bound by, right? Guys, sometimes God has to put us through the fire so he can free us from the things that bind us. Does that make sense? Like God lovingly will let us go into the fire. Guys, at no point did Jesus ever say, hey, follow me and everything's gonna be great. You'll never face anything hard. What he actually said is, hey, you're gonna have trouble in this world, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Guys, he never said he would take us out of the problem. He promised that he would be with us through it. Guys, our loving, great, good God knows how to care for us, even if he has to take us through the thing that burns so he can purify us and free us from the things that bind us to heal us, to help us, or also to just reveal to you once again, he is awesome. Guys, he is good. 
He is good at what he does. And then it looks like Nebuchadnezzar has this repentance time. And I'll, I'll probably look at this more tomorrow. It's not. When you read through it, and we'll do it tomorrow. But what if it turned different? Like we all like good endings, right? But this, this, what if it didn't happen this way? Like what if they were thrown in and they died? Would we sit there and go, so God's not good? Here, think about it. Hold on. Because here's the thing. For some of you, what you prayed for didn't happen, and it's caused you to run from God rather than to him. It's caused you to say, I don't want you. Why would you say that? Because you don't believe him to be good. Because he didn't do it how you thought he would. Guys, I want you to think through the answers when you, when you answer things. What if it had been different? Guys, in Acts chapter 7, turn there if you can. In Acts, book of Acts, New Testament, right after the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Get to Acts chapter 7. A follower of Jesus named Stephen, he's standing before the religious leaders. These are the same men who made sure that Jesus was murdered. And all of a sudden, he begins to preach to them. He's telling them the history of of Israel. And then he calls them out and calls them murderers. Man, they're ticked. This is how he words it. And we'll start in verse 51. I wasn't going to, but let's go there real quick. Got a little bit of time. You stiff-necked people. Dang. Uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who, an, who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels that did not keep it. Woo! That's not one of those messages going, I want to make sure you like me when I'm done. Their response. And when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. That's weird. Guys, whenever you see that, whenever you see that, it's like they ground their teeth at him or they gnash their teeth at him. Some translations are that. Guys, it's this anger. It's this hatred. It's like there's such hatred for him and you see what happens. Verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Guys, I've read through the scriptures I can't think of another place where it talks about Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I always see that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And if there's another one, this is one of the only times where it says that he's standing at the right hand of the Father. Why? I have an opinion. I'll explain it in just a second. Keep going with the passage, verse 56. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Guys, they picked up rocks and they started throwing them at him until they killed him. These are the religious leaders, the ones who are supposed to be protecting God's people, the ones who are supposed to be loving and caring for God's people, and somehow they can justify this. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we know to be Paul. Guys, we got to be careful Isn't it it amazing that one of the greatest persecutors of the church became one of its greatest champions? You know what that should cause us to do? 
That should cause us to pray for the persecuted as well as the persecutor. Pray for those who are persecuted and pray for those who persecute because what if the next persecutor is the next Paul? Friends, it's not our job nor is it our right to judge those who are worthy of the grace of God. We are called to go and share the gospel and leave the judgment things to God. He goes on. As they were stoning him, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Man, that sounds a lot like Jesus, what he said on from the cross right before he died. Where he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, receive my spirit. Verse 60, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Remember when they're, I mentioned last night when they're attaching Jesus to the cross, he's screaming out, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, they don't know. Guys, when you read the original language of that statement that Jesus says in the gospel, he did not say it just once. He cried it out over and over as they're attaching him. Father, forgive them. Forgive them, they don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Guys, I think the only way that we can sound like Jesus is that we're abiding and in deep relationship with Jesus and filled by his Holy Spirit. Guys, Stephen, I can't wait to meet him. But the reason that he's mentioned in the scriptures and we get to remember the great thing he did is because of the great God who was in him, who caused and helped him to do the great thing that he did. He doesn't want the credit. He doesn't deserve the credit, nor do we. Why do I think that Jesus stood? I mean, he dies, but why do I think that Jesus was standing? My opinion, Jesus was standing in ovation in honor of the first martyr who would die because he loved Jesus. Guys, do you realize that there are more martyrs today than at, ever, at any point in human history? Guys, I found, this, I found this fact, and it was, it's from 2000 to 2010, but I guarantee that things haven't gotten any better. But from 2000 to 2010, there were one million people, followers of Jesus, who were killed because they loved Jesus. Guys, that's about 270 people who lost their lives because they simply loved Jesus. And it's my conviction that every single time, this is my conviction, why would Stephen get that experience but nobody else? What if they got to see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father in ovation because they were willing to say, even if, not what if, what if, if it gets hard, I don't have to, right? No, no, even if, even if I lose everything, even if everyone's standing against me, I belong to Jesus. He's mine. He's worth it. Friends, followers of Jesus, what if Christianity is not biblical Christianity? Even if is what we're called to. But the only way we can say those words is if Jesus is worth it. Are you tracking? Do you see it? Some people say, oh, Brian, they're middle schoolers. I mean, can they handle it? Absolutely you can handle it. I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't, I don't teach any different when I come to a middle school than when I'm teaching the people that God's entrusted me at home. All the same. Why? You can handle this. And my prayer is that you would learn this early. You getting alone with God in the word, even if it's just small little sections at a time and putting that into practice 
And all of a sudden you begin to see God starting to swell up your heart and your love for him, he starts to grow it. Then he grows your passion for the word and then he grows your burden for those who don't know Jesus. And then all of a sudden, what if as he's continuing to write this human history and in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about this hall of faith and all these followers of God and followers of Christ who are all in and they're listed this cloud of witnesses that surround us who've gone before us because they love Jesus. Friends, it's our time. It's our turn. Guys, you don't accept Jesus into your heart. You surrender to the lordship of Jesus. That's what you do. To accept Jesus into your heart, what is that? I accept him into my life. Guys, we don't have a life before Jesus. It's us answering the invitation. He says, I want you to give up everything and I want you to come follow me. The only way that you can do that is what? If Jesus is worth it. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the example of three brothers of ours who said, even if, I thank you for the countless examples of followers of Jesus for the last 2,000 years who have said, even if. God, teach us, embolden us, strengthen us to have that same resolve to be true followers of Jesus, to be even if followers of Jesus because you're worth it. Oh God, reveal more and more of the greatness of who you are. God, we love you. We're so thankful for you. And God, I'm so thankful that you'll put us through the fire. And we may not understand it in the moment, but God, I can look in the scriptures and I can look over my life when you've placed me into those really difficult situations and what you did, God, oh, I would never be the same without it and I would never trade it. You did it to burn away the things that bind us that we could be healed. God, thank you for your perfect work. God, in all that you've done, all that you will continue to do as we're together, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of Christ's followers say, amen.